Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. How will McMaster handle artificial intelligence? Mohawk College's drone program is making the 407 safer. The local YMCA gets help from Ottawa. Arkells will gather around the campfire. And there's nothing better than Ticats versus Argos. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. McMaster University, though, is uh, trying to get ahead of the game, creating a task force to explore the use of artificial intelligence to enhance, well, both teaching and learning, as well as the challenges associated with it. And it plans to consult with basically everyone on campus to formulate a go-forward plan on how AI should be used as opposed to misused. Aaron Aspen Leader is an associate director of the Central Programming at McMaster's McPherson Institute. He's going to be looking at this situation uh, on a go-forward basis and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Aaron, good morning. How are you? Good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us about this task force. What is the focus going to be? It's a great question. The task force was struck by our Vice Provost Teaching and Learning, Kim Dye, and Deputy Provost Mateus Griselli, really to explore what the guidelines should be for faculty and for students for understanding how generative AI can be used for teaching and learning. So the task force is made up of students, undergraduate and graduate students, faculty members from all six faculties across campus, and staff members with expertise in teaching and learning, trying to really think through the ethical implications, the pedagogical implications, what it means for assessment, how we can ensure that students are able to learn and to understand their um, disciplinary areas while still following um, guidelines of academic integrity. And so the task force will work over the summer um, to try to give some shape to that for the campus community, recognizing that so much is changing so fast. Um, and so trying to stay ahead of it is really um, quite a challenge. So the university is clearly realizing that, you know, AI is here, it's being used. Let's have a roadmap on how it should be utilized within the academic uh, sphere, if you will. That's exactly right. I would say that for some faculty members and for some disciplines, the excitement and enthusiasm for integrating generative AI um, is really there. They're excited about what it could mean for assessment and for student learning. And for other faculty members and for other disciplines, there's a little more, I suppose, hesitation about what the changes of the technology will mean for how students learn and for how they teach. And so the task force and McMaster is really taking a responsive approach to where different educators are at in their enthusiasm and excitement and wanting to make sure that all faculty feel that they have the uh, autonomy to decide when and how to integrate generative AI into their teaching, recognizing that for many students, um, they're already using it. They're already thinking about what it will mean for the world of work when they graduate. So wanting to prepare students well, but to still have the rigor and academic integrity that McMaster and all universities in Canada are known for. Is it fair to say there is a concern at the university that this could be misused if this task force was not set up? I think there's a concern across, really truly across the world. When we look at our comparable institutions within Canada and the conversations that administrators and faculty and students are having, it's a balancing of excitement about what the technology can do with a concern that students are demonstrating their learning in what they actually know and not what the generative AI knows. And so wanting to think really carefully in the task force is helping um, provide some of these guidelines is to think really carefully about how to design assessments so that 
faculty can be confident that the students are demonstrating what they know and can do and can care about, whether that's with the aid and assistance of generative AI or whether that's um, what they know on their own. And it's a really challenging task to think about how to redesign all of those assessments. And for faculty coming out of years of COVID and years of trying to pivot and think about their courses in different ways that the pandemic wrought, it's another really significant disruption to how um, how they teach and how students learn. Erin, we'll have about a minute. Can you give sure. us the timeline for this consultation and when a final game plan will be in effect for this task force? Yeah, our faculty have asked for guidelines as quickly as possible. And so the task force is hoping to have provisional guidelines to the campus community in the next month so that faculty can use those guidelines, provisional guidelines for planning their fall courses. The task force will continue to work over the summer to refine those guidelines and issue some recommendations to our provost um, by the end of August, expecting fully that those will guidelines will need to evolve um, over the fall as technology changes and as our understanding of the issues deepens. So this may not necessarily be in play for the next school year. Oh, no, I think the um, Definitely the guidelines will be there for fall courses where faculty will have um, some guidance on what to do with generative AI before the fall. It's more that whatever um, happens for the fall, we need to anticipate that more will change um, by the winter just as new integrations of generative AI happen and as our campus conversations um, deepen. Yeah, it is certainly an evolving technology, that is for sure. Yeah. It's nice to see that yeah. McMaster is uh, trying to get ahead of the game. Aaron, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, have a great day. You too. Take care. That's Aaron Aspenleader from McMaster University. And uh, as you can tell, Mac is uh, trying to get its AI protocols in place and hopefully students, staff and faculty can... Uh, Take that and uh, make it a much more fun atmosphere and, uh, and learning atmosphere at McMaster University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Pretty cool news out of Mohawk College. 407 ETR is collaborating with the college's Unmanned and Remote Sensing Innovation Center on a new project that uses drones to do work on the highway so that employees that uh, are employed by the 407 ETR aren't put in risky situations when they're on bridges or looking at overhead signs because they're doing this work while live traffic is traveling underneath them. Uh, Richard Borger is a lead researcher for Mohawk College's Unmanned and Remote Sensing Innovation Center drone program. Joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Richard, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. What a fantastic morning this morning. Absolutely. And a nice day to fly a drone, perhaps. Oh, it doesn't get any better. We've had some uh, some awesome days for flying the last few weeks, that's for sure. So tell us about this partnership with 407 ETR. How did it come about? Yeah, this project actually is really uh, really cool for us. Um, the 407 was actually looking to explore the use of drones for a number of projects, and they, were, they reached out of all people to uh, the Ontario Provincial Police and said, hey, do you know uh, anyone who does drones? And the OPP said, well, you should probably talk to the guys up at, uh, or the team up at, at Mohawk and, and uh, they'll be able to help you out. And that's actually where it got started. So uh, we connected with their director of en uh, bridge engineering and, um, you know, we, we, the, the, pro the project started from there. So how is this going to work? You're going to have students flying drones, overhead bridges and, and overhead signs. And, and what are they going to be looking for? Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, the project itself is essentially to use drones with with uh, high resolution cameras to inspect the 
uh, quality and, and status of the overhead signage. So th this ranges from, you know, the signs that are the, the structures that hold the road signs right through to the tolling structures as you enter and exit the 407 in various places. And the way the project actually works is we're going to have a number of drone pilots. I mean, obviously, we're going to be taking our, our highly skilled and well-trained pilots uh, before they'll, they'll need a few few hours on the sticks before they can actually get out and fly over the 407. And they're going to get out and, and essentially our, our role is to uh, de-risk the technology and demonstrate its functionality. So we work directly beside the, uh, the bridge engineering team or the structural engineering team. And we fly the drone and the bridge engineer will actually manipulate the camera while it's on the drone. And they actually go through and inspect all of the connections on, on each of those overhead structures. So yeah. what they're looking for is they're looking for, you know, bolts that might have actually backed off, uh, unexpected corrosion, and essentially the overall health and status of those overhead structures. So these cameras m must be quite uh, intensive in, in terms of, you know, if you're looking at bolts uh, to see if they're, you know, a little loose, uh, these cameras must be amazing. Yeah, the cameras themselves are actually really, really good. I mean, drone technology in the past five years has accelerated and developed uh, incredibly rapidly to a point where, yeah, we can use the technology for that. It does require also a, a bit of skill to fly the drone to a position where we can actually get the camera pointed to that spot uh, and, and the bridge engineer can actually make decisions. And it's been it's been a really unique uh, perspective. The first couple of tries, we we actually were doing some of the the practice work on one of the inspection stations that's that's actually closed to vehicle traffic. Just seemed like a, a logically safe spot to start. So we were working up there, and uh, it took a bit of practice just to figure out where to put the drone and how to how to get the, the camera and and uh, pointed at the parts that we wanted to actually ex examine. And then the next question was, well, what are we looking at? Is that actually a shadow or is that, you know, maybe a, a defect in one of the welds, for example? And so then we had to start looking at time of day and, and sun conditions and shadowing on various parts of the structure. And then from there, we actually were able to go out and deploy on a number of active or structures over top of active roadway. And the cool piece is through the work we were able to do at the inspection station, we actually developed flight patterns that, that basically keep us, you know, working with the drone over the median or over the side of the highway. So we're not actually flying directly over live lanes and, and you know, hovering there and being a distraction to traffic. Yeah, I can imagine it could be uh, quite distracting to see a drone flying overhead, a, a sign, and the motorist wondering, okay, what the heck is going on here? What What is, uh, uh, you know, NASA or the FBI or CSIS doing <laughs> <laughs> to us? Uh, Richard Borger is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Re uh, Richard is the lead researcher for Mohawk College's Unmanned and Remote Sensing Innovation Center drone program, and they're going to be flying uh, overhead the 407 ETR to, well, look for some potential risks when it comes to those overhead signage or, or, or bridges. What's the benefit to students? What are they going to be learning? Well, the benefit to students is is enormous. They're actually able to work side by side directly with bridge engineers. So it, uh, anyone in our structural engineering uh, side of side of things, the structural inspection in the civil engineering technology program, this this directly applies to their course of study. So they're actually able to look at using new technology for uh, for structural inspection. Essentially, that's what we're looking at, right? And and it's it's. Um, Somewhat ironic to me this morning as we're talking, I can only imagine people that are listening to to this conversation on their radio as they're driving into work, <laughs> scanning along the 407. Each one of those signs is essentially a structure that uh, is required to have certain uh, inspections to maintain its safety so that it, it doesn't become a hazard to motorists. And our students are actually able to get up there and work directly alongside a bridge engineering team from one of the you know one of the the premier highways in the country, and. They're working one-on-one -on -one with the bridge engineer for, for days at a time. So 
for them, it's it's not only experience in their field of study, but it's also direct on the job experiential learning with a, an engineering team uh, that that can actually provide excellent feedback on both their education as well as future future job opportunities for them when they graduate. We got about a minute left. How long does this uh, partnership last? How is it just this school year, or is it for a few years? Tell us about that. Yeah, the partnership actually is, and, and we're really thankful for the 407 with their forward-thinking uh, ideas on adopting new and disruptive technology. The, the relationship is actually a three-year program where we're looking to actually extend into uh, various other applications. So things like stormwater pond management, so we're, we're using drones with sonar for underwater mapping of, of capacity of stormwater ponds along the corridor. And again, we're, we're simply there to de-risk the tech to show them how the new tech works, and then they can integrate it directly into their workflow. So there's a number of other applications from mapping to, to underwater sonar to uh, structural inspection using drones on, on bridges, as well as on overhead gantries. And the, the project is, is uh, at this point, just in its infancy of, of we're about three quarters of a year in, and it's, it's just going to keep growing from here. Now, possibilities are endless, and this is a big win-win. Richard, thanks for the time today, and uh, best of luck with this going forward. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me on this morning. You got it. Richard Borger, lead researcher for Mohawk College's Unmanned and Remote Sensing Innovation Center drone program. The 407 ETR, by the way, has 230 overhead signs. There's 236 bridges and uh, 204 of those plate and transponder readers on those signs. So lots of uh, signs to detect and making sure workers are safe as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Federal government announcing funding for youth mental health supports for the YMCA of Hamilton, Burlington, Branford. It's invested more than $237,000, an additional 50k as well to enhance early intervention programs. This is a big issue, as we know, in this community and, and really every community in this country. Karina Gould is the Liberal MP for Burlington and the Minister of Family, uh, Families, Children and Social Development and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Ms. Gould, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. How's this funding going to help address youth mental health in this community? Yeah, well, thanks so much for covering this topic. It's so important. Um, the Y has this really fantastic program called Y Minds, where they have a seven-week um, program for young people who um, need a little bit of support when it comes to mental health. And what's great about it is they don't have to wait months to get support. They can join um, almost immediately. Often they're referred by you know some youth workers and it's an opportunity for them to um, be in community, uh, to meet new people who have the same kind of feelings of anxiety and um, nervousness and stress, and it provides them uh, a way uh, to get together and to talk about how to develop skills to cope with these, you know, day-to-day stresses that we all face. I would imagine that a big part of this youth mental health issue is food insecurity, which is a huge issue in this community. And there was just calls the other day for the Ontario government to offer free breakfast and lunch programs in schools. And I know that the federal government has promised to do something similar. Where do we stand on that? Yeah, so I mean, we have wrapped up consultations uh, for the National School Food uh, Policy and Program Initiative. Uh, so we're going through and analyzing all the feedback that we got. We got over 5,000 submissions from across the country, which uh, is terrific. And, you know, there's there's very di- varying levels of initiatives across the country. So, for example, in PEI, they already have a fully universal breakfast and lunch program for 
all of their students in their in their province. Uh, Quebec has something kind of similar. Uh, it's not universal, although it's universally accessible. Um, and Ontario has, you know, some school meal programs. Um, they have snack programs. Some schools have breakfast, but it is really a patchwork right now. Um, so we're hoping to be able to set some standards and to work with all provinces, including in Ontario, to develop that. But I would say that what Why Minds is really in response to is um, you know, the isolation from COVID-19 um, and the fact that a lot of young people were, you know, at home, they were engaging with their peers, getting back into the school system or the workplace can be quite stressful. And so it's helping to let them know that they're not alone, that others are feeling these things as well, um, and that there's an opportunity and the tools and resources to help them get better. When when the game plan is announced in terms of, you know, uh, helping all youth with their mental health, because it is, uh, as you know, a, a serious issue for at least a couple of years. They were indoors, learning remotely. It's been tough. I'm sure there's, you know, a gap in that kind of learning process as well. Um, are, are we seeing some improvement? Do you have some some evidence as as to whether or not we're going in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, I think we absolutely are going in the right direction. Um, but, you know, there's students who are young people who are are further behind than they would have been had we not had, um, you know, the lockdowns and, of course, the pandemic, which caused a lot of anxiety in and of itself. Um, but what I can say is that, you know, the Why Minds program has been operating for a few months now, and there's been, you know, just over 70 participants, and they provided me with some anonymous feedback. And the, you know, the comments from the young people who participated were were just so inspiring, right? And and so heartwarming because it is really making a difference for them to have that peer support and to go through this initiative. You know, some of the comments were, you know, I didn't know anybody else felt the way that I feel. And, you know, I'm I feel so much stronger now that I've been through this and that I have the tools to help manage and cope with the feelings that I have. And so we're certainly making progress. Um, but you know, I think I think we're gonna be feeling the impacts of the pandemic for a while yet. And I think we're gonna have to continue to have these really important measures and interventions to to help, particularly our young people, as you know, they're as they're going through some of the most important developmental times uh, in their life. Uh, we got one more minute with Karina Gould, Liberal MP for Burlington and the Minister of Families, Children and Social Development, regarding this funding for uh, Mind and, and the My Medicine programs at the YMCA. Interesting to note that the age bracket for these young people in these programs is between 13 and 30. Um, so, we, we, you know, you're in your late teens, you're in your 20s. This program is continuing to allow these individuals to dip into the resources that are being offered. And I think that's pretty important to identify. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, you know, if, if you think about your youth, um, you know, school and being with your peers is is the most important thing for you, right? And being stuck at, at home um, and sometimes in, in very stressful situations, you know, if your parents or caregivers were, you know, under extreme stress, even if they weren't, you know, taking it out um, on, on their kids, you know, you, you feel that at home. And so having this opportunity uh, for young people who are, you know, experiencing these stresses, these anxieties, you know, perhaps like light depression, um, there's a real opportunity to engage and 
for the 13 to 18 year old cohort, you know, it's a slightly different program than the 18 to 30 year olds, but for a lot of the older youth, so the 18 to 30 year olds, it's about developing those skills to, you know, either stay in post-secondary school or uh, get back into the workplace. Because um, for a few of the participants that I heard from, you know, their anxiety and their fears made it such that they, they weren't able to perform in the workplace. And they've said that going through this program has enabled them to get back into work and to really develop those healthy coping mechanisms uh, when they're feeling stress or anxiety. Minister Gold, I know you have a busy schedule this morning. We really appreciate you spending some time with us uh, today here on Good Morning Hamilton. Thanks so much, Rick. Have a great day, everyone. You too. That is Karina Gould, Liberal MP for Burlington and the Minister of Families, Children and Social Development. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hamilton's beloved Arkells is going to perform a pair of intimate and stripped back campfire shows, including one on July 29th at Burning Kiln Winery in Norfolk County. Here to talk about it is the GM of Burning Kiln Winery, Russell Press. Russell, good morning. Welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And it's, uh, it is a good morning. It was, a, it was a busy day yesterday, but we're all excited for July 29th, that's for sure. How did you manage to land Arkells? Well, I mean, I'm not really... You sure, I think. I think <laughs> the question is, how did they manage to get into such a wonderful winery? <laughs> uh, no, I'm I, I'm playing. Uh, actually, it it was a, an effort, an all-out effort. Um, but uh, our our concert curator um, Claire Sanko, a member of our team, uh, she deserves a, a big chunk of the credit here for sure. She she's in the industry. She's well respected, and uh, she saw an opportunity, and and we talked about it. And uh, the ownership group, uh, who are wonderful, uh, a group that uh, own the wineries, all spoke about it. As a, we spoke about it as a team, and we went back to the rest of the team, and it looked like something that we could do. So uh, we put a pitch in, and um, it came together. It, it's wonderful. I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's Norfolk County. It's uh, along the shores of, of Lake Erie, in a, in a winery with one of Canada's uh, favorite rock bands. So. Exciting. This is not something uh, that the Arkells have done before. There is you're playing in you know large stadiums like Tim Hortons Field when they have their rally concert, or in arenas like First Ontario Centre here in downtown Hamilton. This really intimate setting with about you know 2,500 people is very different from what they've done before. Did you have to convince them to do it, or, or was Max and the gang kind of all in? Yeah, a wonderful question. And in reality, is it's it's actually the other way around. They it. it 100% curated by them, and it was an idea that they had, and, um, you know, we were kind of a, positioned as, as sort of a testing ground for, for this um, this type of concert or, or venue that, that they want to play to, to this size. So it came from them, for sure, uh, in terms of what the show would be and and, and uh, the structure of it and the format. That That's them, and kudos to them. This is this is special. As I, as I said a couple of times uh since it became news, um, it's Canadiana, right? It's uh, it's wonderful, and it's uh, it's it's just a, a wonderful opportunity, and we're so proud to be a part of it. It should be a great show. It's July 29th at Burning Kiln Winery in Norfolk County, and it is a, a campfire nights as the Arkells are talking about it. Now, here here's the big question, Russell. I'm not sure if you have the latest greatest on this. Is that we know that tickets went on sale. Um, uh, today. Pre-sale was held yesterday, though, so those who signed up for the Arkells newsletter got a leg up on really everyone else. So the question is, are there any tickets left? There are a few. Uh, there, there are there are a limited number. I don't have the exact numbers, uh, to be sure, but, uh, you know, it was important to both uh, to us and, and to them that, uh, that there be uh, 
I've got a batch of, of tickets available for, for today when they go on sale. I believe at 10 o'clock, uh, so we're still a little bit away. But uh, yesterday's pre-sale, um, there's, there's, I mean, the Arcanist fan club is second to none. They they took the direction, they did what was asked, and uh, and and made the internet light up in, in Norfolk yesterday, that's for sure. Now, Arcals are billing this as campfire nights or campfire shows. The question is, will there be a campfire? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> uh, that's yet to be determined. I'm, I'm sure through uh, through some sort of, of uh, you know some sort of artistic endeavor that there'll be uh, there'll be a, a campfire or something that resembles a campfire for sure. We are a winery uh, first and foremost, so we, we want to make sure that we're we're protecting uh, the, the growing grapes that are going to be yes. used in, uh, in the vintage and the production for next year. So we. We got to keep everybody safe and that sort of thing. But uh, you know, we're, we've got a lot of property, and and we've got some extremely talented people that would be able to to, to pull something together. I'm sure. We got about thirty seconds. How much are you looking forward to this show? Oh, uh, as much as anybody else, this is this is an opportunity. This is a watershed moment. I said before, and uh, and we just want everyone to come and enjoy themselves, have a good time. Uh, taking a what will be a legendary uh, legendary band in, in uh, Canadian rock and and um, just just enjoy the beauty of Norfolk and and Burning Kiln Winery. We are so happy at Burning Kiln to uh, to be able to host us. You can get your tickets online at BurningKilnWinery.ca. Russell, thanks for the time and uh, best of luck with the show. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Super. Thanks. We'll see you on the 29th. You got it. That's Russell Press, General Manager, Burning Kiln Winery. Again, tickets, burningkilnwinery.ca. They're 100 bucks each. 2,500 people are going to be there. Uh, it's going to be a great show. As Arkells call it, an intimate sing-song with your fave band. Looking forward to that. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Tiger Cats down by five. They're on the Calgary 7. Dane Evans throws to the got end it. zone. Touchdown! Tiger Kids, Tim White, and the Tiger Kids lead with 11 seconds to go. RJ Broadhead and Luke Tasker back this season on the Cats Audio Network and right here on 900 CHML as the Cats get set to open up the preseason tomorrow at Tim Hortons Field against the Toronto Argonauts. And here to talk about it is RJ Broadhead, the play-by-play announcer of the Cats on the Cats Audio Network. RJ, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Rick. Good to chat with you. Uh, Ticats getting set for uh, game number one of the preseason. They'll play Montreal in a week's time, and then the real action starts on June the 9th. All eyes as training camp started and continues on Bo Levi Mitchell, uh, and all eyes will be on him throughout the season as well. What's your sense and how ready and how rejuvenated he is? Yeah, you know, I've had a, a chance to sit down with him a couple of times and talk with him, and... I, He's like a kid again. It's it's a it's been a great change for him being in Hamilton. Um, I, I think his his time was up in Calgary, and he wants to prove that his time is not up in the CFL. And Rick, I, I got a real kick out of your roundtable conversation, and Paul made me laugh because we we've all been in that situation where we cheer for a team and they never seem to win, but it seems different around the Tiger Cats. I, I've covered sports for over 25 years and rarely do players put expectations on themselves immediately and I asked Paul Levi Mitchell I said what are your expectations and before I got the ass out and expectations he was saying Grey Cup I talked to Jameer Thurman a couple of days ago and he was saying Grey Cup 
So the players are they know that the Grey Cup is in Hamilton, the game. The team needs to win. That drought has to come to an end. And they brought in so many guys with Grey Cup experience. JG got one last year. Chris Edwards is there. Of course, Jameer Thurman, Bo Levi Mitchell. So tons of championship experience. And the goal is is the Grey Cup. So I think Bo Levi Mitchell is a terrific ad. And for the first time in a long time, maybe since Orlando Steinauer has been head coach, he has a number one quarterback, and Bo Levi, with that three-year contract, is going to be there for three years. There was always kind of, you know, a one A, one B, but there's no doubt Bo is the man, and I, I, he's looked great in training camp. I can't wait to see him. You mentioned uh, a few newcomers to the team: Jameer Thurman, Chris Edwards, Jagger Davis coming back. There's other guys that are new to this team on the offense as well: Duke Williams, James Butler, left tackle Joel Figueroa coming back after many years out in BC. Is there one guy apart from Bo Levi amongst the newcomers that you're really looking forward to seeing here in 2023? Yeah, it, I would say James Butler. Um, you know, over a thousand yards rushing last season with BC, and that was. Um, uh, a real tough area for the Tiger Cats last season. It was, um, they were a bit predictable on offense, Rick. And I, I listen to the fifth quarter and, and you hear it all the time. And Tiger Cats fans are so knowledgeable. It, it's, you can almost guess what was happening. But if the running game isn't working, you are limited as an offensive coordinator in an offense. And it's a word that's been used at training camp a lot from the offensive players and its options. And maybe the most options the Tiger Cats have had in a long time. So I'm excited to see James Butler. The offensive line was an issue at the start of last season. They began to repair it. And I think Figueroa is a a great addition at uh, left tackle there. And with that great offensive line, that'll give Bo Levi Mitchell time to spot a receiver or open up holes for James Butler. So I'm excited to see the running game and and see that a lot more effective this season for the Tiger Cats. Hope springs eternal at this time of the year, and let's hope that uh, this team is in Grey Cup 110 come November 19th, and hopefully, fingers crossed, they hoist that trophy. That'd be nice to see. RJ, we got to run. Thanks for your time, and good luck with the call tomorrow. Awesome. Sounds good, Rick. We'll see you at the stadium. You got it. R.J. Broadhead, play-by-play announcer for the Hamilton Ticats on the Ticats Audio Network. Ticats and Argos pregame show here on CHML begins at 3 tomorrow afternoon. Kickoff is at 4. And the fifth quarter, brought to you by Eastgate Ford, will erupt on your radio half an hour after the game. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, that was uh, a few months ago, and it was uh, not the outcome many had expected. Argonauts beating the Blue Bombers in the Grey Cup, and what a phenomenal game it was. And so all year long, all season long in 2023, we're going to have to say defending Grey Cup champion Toronto Argonauts. I mean, it pains me to say that. But hey, they uh, they earned it, no doubt about that. It's Ty Cats, it's Argos tomorrow, the first game of the preseason for both teams, and you can hear it right here on 900 CHML. Another individual who's going to be calling the game is Mike Hogan, longtime Argos play-by-play announcer on TSN Radio. Mike, good morning. How are you? I, I am good, and you know it, it may pain you to say that. But it's music to my ears. <laughs> what is also music to my ears is that Argos suck. I know we got to get that out of the well, way there. as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
we can we can punk it. This is the way the rivalry should be. You, you, you have friends, you punk them, you have a little bit of fun with yeah. it. You, you boo against the other team for you know an hour of game time, and then you have a beer with them after the game. That's what this rivalry should be. Absolutely, absolutely. I uh, the, the number one topic I think, apart from you know the the Argos having the target on their back, I, I yeah. would think, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is that Chad Kelly is is he the guy? I think externally that's a really big question because not everybody has seen Chad Kelly. You know, he played one game uh, at the end of the season against Montreal, looked pretty good doing it, but it was, you know, in terms of the standings, it was the meaningless last game of the year. The Argos had already clinched first place and Montreal had already clinched second. And then the the fourth quarter of the Grey Cup game. Uh, internally, I don't think anybody has any question at all here, here. We're in Guelph right now at camp, and I don't think anybody here has any doubt at all that Chad Kelly's the guy uh, that can, uh, you know, we hope can get us back to the Grey Cup. Um, but he's, he's a really talented guy. He has put in every conceivable, uh, you know, minute of his time into becoming a better quarterback. Uh, that's what he wants to do. He's driven. Uh, he's heard skeptics forever. Uh, you know, he was a pretty immature kid that, you know, uh, took some uh, some really stupid decisions early in his life. But he settled down. He's, you know, he's at that maturity level and he's ready to go. And as a football player and as a leader, I don't think anybody here questions what Chad Kelly's going to do this year. Apart from the starting quarterback for the Toronto Argonauts, all eyes are on a veteran CFLer and a future Hall of Famer and running back Andrew Harris. What have you seen from uh, him so far in this training camp? I don't know how many times, Rick, I've heard somebody on the sidelines during practice say, that dude doesn't look 34. <laughs> you know, he's one, of those, he's one of those guys that just doesn't seem to age. And, you know, we, we saw that with, the, you know, in Hamilton, you had Speedy B get into his 30s and was still able to perform. And, and we saw it for a year last year. And Harris is the same guy. He hasn't slowed down. Uh, so he's now been able to take the physical gifts that he's had and combine that with the mental experience that you get by playing for over a decade in the CFL as a starting running back. And, um, you know, it doesn't look like he has city miles on him. It's it's crazy. And the good thing for him is he doesn't have to be that guy this year because A.J. Olet is back and Javon Leak is back and Dan Adepoboye is back and uh, Deontay McMahon is a new guy. So we've got five running backs here in camp, all of whom I think um, the coaching staff would be uh, comfortable with giving the ball to at any given time. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Mike Hogan, longtime Argos play-by-play announcer on TSN Radios. We get set for tomorrow's preseason opener between the Tiger Cats and the Argonauts at Tim Morton's Field. Kickoff is at 4. Pre-game show on CHML begins at 3. Of course, the fifth quarter will follow the game as well. Is there another name or two at camp in Guelph that you, you have your eye on or someone that surprised you? I don't know if, if, if surprised, but the, the two guys that I was most curious in seeing uh, were two guys that you know we picked up in free agency. Flo Arimolade was just a tear on the defensive line with, with Calgary last year, and he was uh, one of two guys that the Argos really had in their sights in free agency. He'll line up uh, at defensive end, and he's the guy that made Jaguar Davis expendable, so he went home to Hamilton. Um, and then uh, on the uh, on, uh, at the second level as as the Sam linebacker, uh, Chris Edwards goes your way uh, again because we had kind of replaced him already in the lineup as we signed a Darius Pickett uh, from Montreal, who was the Alouettes' most outstanding defensive player last year. And I love Edwards. I thought the only guy better than him in the league last year at that position was Pickett. So 
you know, I think we've got the two best guys in, at that position uh, in our rivalry, as it were. So um, those have been two guys that, uh, you know, have flashed. I don't think every uh, every veteran is going to turn it on every day at training camp, especially the guys you know are going to start in those positions. So uh, when they really wanted to pick it up a notch, they have. And I, I think it makes what was a really good front seven in Toronto last year even better. Lastly, and we got about a minute to chew on this, your analysis looking from the outside to within on, on this Ticats team, is it, uh, you know, this team's going to go as far as Bo Levi takes it? Yeah, you know, I'm really interested to see what he does, kind of like the way you guys uh, were just asking about Andrew Harris, because at some point uh, an athlete is going to hit the wall. Um, we're hoping, obviously, in Toronto, this ain't it for Harris. It's his final year, and, and he's going to dig down deep, obviously, and, and doesn't look uh, any different than he did five, six years ago. Um, Bo Levi Mitchell's the same thing. You know, he, he, he We watched in Toronto, it was in a game against the Argos, where uh, he was lifted at halftime and never got a starting job back. And, you know, he's got something to prove as well. So uh, he's a guy that has given the Argos fits over the years. And, you know, we expect the same thing this year, wearing a different color. So it's going to be weird to see him. I saw some pictures that Ticats put out, and he does look different because he's worn the one jersey for his entire career. Uh, but, you know, you respect a guy like Bo Levi Mitchell. He's got the talent, and we expect him to be, you know, Bo Levi Mitchell this year. And that's just going to add to the fun uh, in a race that uh, might be really intriguing between the three Ontario teams, and then we'll see what Montreal can do. I, I think everybody would have them penciled in at least uh, in fourth place in the East, but uh, they've got some talent there, so they may surprise as well. But uh, this could be a really intriguing Ontario-based CFL East this year. I think so, too. Hoagie, always love chatting football with you. Thanks for the time, and to have a great call this season. We'll see you tomorrow. That is Mike Hogan, longtime Argos play-by-play announcer on TSN Radio. It is Ticats Argos tomorrow here on CHML. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.